I want to express our desire for you and yours to experience a truly sweet and blessed year in 5778. Um, we think and believe that the Lord has uh, good things in store for you, and he wants to pour out his spiritual blessings upon you and your family. <clears throat> Let's just have a bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, B'Shem Yeshua, Mishikainu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before you, eager to hear from your Ruach tonight. Abba, we invite you to come and speak to our hearts to change us, and we ask you, B'Shem Yeshua. Now pray this after me, Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Rosh Hashanah commemorates, among other things, the anniversary of creation, as we recognize God as the creator and sustainer of our world. He is crowned as king of the universe. And just as trumpets are sounded at a coronation of a king, an earthly king, the shofar announces God's continued kingship over the world. It's also known as Yom Hadin, the day of judgment, and Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembrance. Adonai said to Moshe, and I'm reading from Vayikra, Leviticus 23, Tell the people of Israel in the seventh month, the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering. A holy convocation announced with blasts on the shofar. Do not do any kind of ordinary work and bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. So tonight we are faithful to be fulfilling that command of the Lord. And as we gather to hear the sounding of the shofar, and we know that the scriptural name of this day is actually Yom Teruah, the day of the sounding of the shofar, what is the sounding for? You ever asked that? What is it to accomplish in our lives? Surely we are not just supposed to physically hear the sound in our hearing and walk away unchanged or unaffected. The shofar is a call. And tonight, before we hear the sounding of the shofar and call up our Baal Takiyah to blow the shofar for us, I want to talk about three things the shofar calls us to. And the first thing it calls us to, the shofar calls us to examination. Maimonides, a 12th century rabbi, viewed Rosh Hashanah as a wake-up call for God's people. In biblical times, this day was also called, as we said, Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembrance. But who was to remember what? Was it, was it a day when God was supposed to remember us, or were we supposed to remember God? Was it a day when we were supposed to become mindful of our moral circumstances in preparation for the day of atonement that would soon be upon us? Is it a crying is it God crying out to us, awake, awake, you sleepers from your sleep, examine your deeds? <clears throat> the ten days of awe, the Yamim Hanorim, it's a period of intense spiritual transformation. That is, 
You know, we call these the Moedim of God. They are the appointed times, the set times that God has given. And he's given these times for spiritual transformation. The ten days of all begin tonight on Rosh Hashanah, and it ends with Yom Kippur. One writer says it's ten days fraught with meaning and dread. For Yom Kippur itself, the Day of Atonement is a day that comes to a close with the clanging of the shutting of the great gates. It's then that, according to tradition, we find out whether our names are written in the book of life and the gates of heaven are closed. But we must understand that biblical self-examination is really an invitation for God to show us our sinful and errant ways. So how do we go, to go about practicing scriptural self-examination? Here are a few steps. First, we need to be honest with yourself before God. It says in the scripture, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Yirmiyahu 17 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, we have a tendency as human beings to justify our wrongdoings. And at times we blame others for our own errant behavior. Being honest with yourself during this season means that you will take responsibility for the things you have done or perhaps the things you have not done that you were supposed to. Take examination of the motives of your heart as well as your spiritual and moral shortcomings. The second thing it does is that we ask God to reveal to us any deeds, motives, or spiritual errancies in our life, like pride. One writer said, even the most honest person cannot see himself as others do, for which we should be thankful. Each person is blind to certain parts of his character, even when he is most brutally honest with himself such as during this time of annual self-examination. We must consider how myopic we are about ourselves in comparison to how we see others in our family. Isn't it amazing? We can look at others and we know all the things they need to change. All the ways they need to grow in God. Yet we don't see those same deficiencies in our own lives. So... We must rely on God in his mercy to reveal these things to us. And when he shows us, either by a word you might hear tonight, perhaps a prayer that we will pray in the next 10 days, like Vidui or the Alchet prayer. Everyone loves that one because it's so inclusive. It hits every mark. Or perhaps just a faint impression upon your heart or your mind, telling you that you need to reform your life. Take these promptings as God showing you, and from there you you can begin your spiritual journey back to God and spiritual vibrancy. 
Tehillim 139 and 24 says, Examine me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any hurtful way and lead me along the eternal way. That's a powerful prayer to pray, isn't it? But it's a, it's a prayer that brings reformation to the soul of man. And God wants your soul to be filled with his life and his joy. Talim 26 and 2, the psalmist writes, Examine me, O Adonai, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. You see, the concept of this examination means to scrutinize, to test. What we are asking of God is basically this. God, go over my life with a fine-tooth comb. How many of you are willing to pray that? (laughs) Say, God, go over my life with a fine-tooth comb. And any place where I need to change, God, I'm willing to change. I tell you what, that sounds a little bit scary, but I'll tell you, it's very liberating. Because whatever God shows us will benefit us greatly as we heed his word. I would encourage you to take the next 10 days and thoroughly examine yourself with the help of the Ruach HaKodesh. And write down any area that God shows you, any impression, any word that you felt he spoke to you. And target those areas for change through prayer. Lamentations 3 and verse 40 says, Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return, Shuvah, to Adonai. That leads us to the next thing after we commit to examine ourselves before God, which is a good thing. It leads us to the next call of the shofar, and that is a call to repentance. And I want to note that the call to repentance is rooted in the love of God. Do you hear that? The, love, the, the call to repentance is rooted in God's love. As we've said the entire month of Elul leading up to this day, that Elul is summed up in these words, Ani ledodi vedodi li. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. It's God's love for us that propels us to this very season. Because God knows that sin separates him from his children. And God, who wants to be and desires to be close to us, gives an opportunity for us to repent and turn so that love relationship can be restored. One rabbinic commentary on Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, says, A man should always consider himself as if he is about to die. He may die when his time is up while still behaving sinfully. He should therefore repent of his sins immediately. Let him not say, when I grow old I shall repent, since he may die before getting old. Solomon, in his wisdom, said, let your garments be always white, as burial garments. Let them always be white. In other words, 
Always have a repented heart. Always have your accounts settled with God. The theme of this day and the next 10 days, obviously, repentance and tashliach is a ritual that I trust some of you will do tomorrow where you go down to a body of moving water and you'll take the lint out of your pocket or some breadcrumbs and you'll cast them upon the water and as the water washes away and takes those crumbs away, it's symbolic of God washing our sins away from us and removing them into the depths of the sea. That's good imagery because that's what God's purpose for this season is. Not to beat us over our heads with our sins, but to remove them from us so we can be refreshed and filled with his life. Teshuvah, which means to return or to repent, begins on the first day of the month of Elul, and we've been doing that. And it continues 40 days and it ends with Yom Kippur. It is accentuated in these Norim Hayamim, these days of awe, and these final 10 days until Yom Kippur where the books are closed according to tradition and our fate is sealed. Now we know in Messiah that our fate is tied to his once and for all sacrifice, true. But with that said, this is a divine season of repentance afforded us by Adonai. Friends, here's just the plain truth. One day, each one of us will stand before an almighty God. And he will not be impressed with us at all. Not in our humanity, that's for sure. Not anything we do, not anything we say. Not the stature or the position we had as men. The only thing that he will look at is whether we are worthy to enter into his presence. And there's only one thing that allows that entry, and that is a sinless person. And how can faulty, frail human beings be sinless only one way? Through repentance and the blood of atonement. That's both... A scary thing and an exciting thing because God has made a way for each of us to come into his holy presence. I want to tell you a story. A Jewish teenager by the name of David received a parrot for his birthday. Truth be told, his parents couldn't afford the one that he had been eyeing at the pet store, but his father had a friend who gave him a deal on a parrot that he was trying to get rid of. This parrot was fully grown with a bad attitude and a worse vocabulary. Suffice it to say that you can't repeat those words on Rosh Hashanah in shul. David uh, David tried hard to change the bird. He was constantly trying to introduce better words to the parrot's vocabulary. He would play soft music, read up on parrot training on the internet, He really made an effort to get his new pet to improve his ways, but nothing worked. One day, he was at his wit's end and just plain lost it. He yelled at the bird, cursing at it and using the parrot's own vocabulary. The bird got worse. He shook the bird and the bird got madder and ruder. 
Well, finally, in a moment of desperation, David put the parrot in his freezer. And for a few moments, he heard the birds squawking, kicking, and screaming, and then suddenly, it was quiet. And he said to himself, oh no, did I kill the parrot? And he opens up the freezer quickly, and he holds out his arm, and the parrot calmly stepped out onto David's extended arm and said, I'm sorry that I offended you with my language and actions. I ask for your forgiveness. I will try to improve my behavior. David was astounded at the bird's change in attitude and was about to ask what changed him when the parrot continued and he said, may I ask what the chicken did? And so here are four reasons why we repent. And the first being repentance based on the fear of the Lord. It wasn't until the parrot was placed in the freezer and saw that dead frozen chicken that it said, you know what, if I don't amend my ways, I will share the same fate. And so the parrot was eager to clean up his act and get on with his life. Well, guess what? The fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. Because I would assume all of us in this room want to be written in the book of life, the Sefer Hachai, want to know that, you know, God forbid, if we were to die today, that we know if we stood before a holy God, he would welcome us into his kingdom. And that's a good thing. It's healthy. The second reason we repent is we, it's repentance based on circumstances. You know, this person repents because he realizes his wrong because of the consequences of his actions. They look at their lives and say, something is wrong. And I believe it is because of me and my actions. It is my life and lifestyle and my behavior that has brought these things upon me. Of course, this comes by revelation of Adonai, but it's helped by circumstance. Devarim 28 says this, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey Adonai your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Someone wrote, Do not say repentance is limited to sinful acts, such as fornication, robbery, and theft. Just as a man must repent of these, he must scan and search his evil traits, repenting of anger, hatred, envy, scoffing, greed, vainglory, excessive desire for food, and so on. One must repent of all these failings. To make it worse, when a person is addicted to them, he finds it hard to get rid of them. The prophet says, let the guilty man give up his way and the evil man his thoughts. And that's what this season is about, is will you give up those ways that God shows you that you need to change? 
The third reason for repentance is for breaking the commands of God. This can happen by not doing the things God has instructed us to do or by doing things he instructed us not to do. So either by omission or commission, we realize that we have grieved the heart of God. By not being obedient to his righteous command, we failed him. And that's a question we should ask. Have we failed God by not obeying his word in a given area? Yochanan Aleph in 3 in the Brit Kadashah says this, Everyone who keeps sinning is violating Torah. Indeed, sin is violation of Torah. And then Yaakov 2 and 10 says, For a person who keeps the whole Torah, yet stumbles at one point, has become guilty of breaking them all. And what does that plainly mean? We could see why God gives a season of repentance like this. Because we fail regularly. And we need these seasons where we can go to a merciful God and say, God, forgive me of my errant ways. And God in his love is eager to forgive. And that's the good news. And the last reason we repent or reason for repentance is repentance based on our actions toward our fellow man. Hear me. Do you have dislike toward your fellow man? Have you wronged your fellow man? Have you mistreated in any way your fellow man in either word, in deed, or in the thoughts of your heart? That's really important. And if we have, we need to repent. You see, the whole point of this season is to cause repentance. But not to beat us down, but to lift us higher and closer to God. Why? Because repentance brings mercy. Someone wrote, let not the repentant person, listen, imagine that he is far removed from the merit of the righteous on account of the iniquities and sins he committed. This is not so. He is tenderly loved by the Creator as if he had never sinned. Besides, his reward is great since he had tasted sin and got rid of it by suppressing his evil impulse. The sages said, where repentant sinners stand, the thoroughly righteous cannot stand. Isn't that something? That is, their merit is superior to that of persons who never committed a sin because the repentant had to exert greater effort in suppressing the impulse to sin. So what's it mean? That God doesn't look upon the repentant person and think that they're lesser because they were in need of repentance, because they had issues in their life. The contrary is true. That God sees a person who's willing to repent and commends that person and blesses that person for obedience to his commands. So we have examination, which you'll have ample opportunity to do over the course of the next 10 days. We have repentance, which you will have ample opportunity to do in the next 10 days. As a matter of fact, this Shabbat is Shabbat Shuvah. It's the Sabbath of repentance. 
But the last aspect of the call of the shofar I will cover tonight is that it calls us to the king. Yom Teruah means blowing of the trumpets to coronate God as king of the universe and king of our life. To jolt God's people out of sleep, to remind them who they are by their remembering that God is our king. And finally, to consider, consider their standing before the king. Are they in good standing before the king of glory? It says in Tehillim 24 and Ted, Who is he, this king, this glorious king? Adonai Sivaot, he is the glorious king. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over it all. God is Lord over everything. Like it or not, believe it or not, God is the king. We're not the king. Man isn't the king of the world. God is king of the universe. And he is deserving of all the glory and praise. Telim 95 and 3 says, For Adonai is a great God, a great king, greater than all gods. It's interesting that these scriptures clearly depict God as king, yet in Tehillim chapter 2, it says this, Why are the nations in an uproar, the peoples grumbling in vain? The earth's kings are taking positions, leaders conspiring together against Adonai and against his Mashiach, his anointed. They cry, let's break their fetters, let's throw off their chains. He who sits in heaven laughs. Adonai looks at them in derision. Then in his anger, he rebukes them, terrifies them in his fury. And he says this in verse 6, I myself have installed my king on Sion, my holy mountain. So God, the king of the universe that we clearly established, installs a king on Mount Sion in Yerushalayim. I will proclaim a decree, Adonai said to me, you are my son. And he calls this king his son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The nations? Could it be a Jewish king, a Jewish Messiah to be head over the nations? Could that be? Yes, that's what he's saying. And there is a self-proclaimed and attested to by signs and wonders and miracles and changed lives, a king who came, King Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, who was the Son of God and who rules over the nations of the earth. He said, you will break them with an iron rod, shatter them like a clay pot. Therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, you judges of the earth. Serve Adonai. Hear this. This is a call to us. Serve Adonai with fear. Rejoice, but with trembling. 
kiss the son. Another way to translate that is pay homage to the son. Lest he be angry and you perish along the way when suddenly his anger blazes. How blessed, say how blessed, are all who take refuge in him. This king that God has personally installed on Mount Zion, his name is Yeshua HaMashiach, and all who put their trust in him and him alone are blessed. We as a Messianic Jewish congregation know that he is Yeshua, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we aren't the only ones. Through history, Jewish people have come to understand that Yeshua is that king that God himself put as king over our people. I want to just give you a few in closing. Michael Solomon Alexander. In 1799, he was a German rabbi. Immersed in 1825 after concluding that the rabbis had concealed the truth about Yeshua. Seven years later, he becomes professor of Hebrew and rabbinical literature at King's College, London. He translated the Anglican liturgy into Hebrew, headed a list of 60 Messianic Jews who lodged a formal protest against the blood libel. His name comes first on a long list of those who signed a protest of Jewish believers in England against the accusation that Jewish people use Christian blood in Passover rites. Now that was a false accusation that came against the Jewish people. But here this Messianic Jewish professor led the charge to help our people. When the British Parliament endows the position of Bishop of Jerusalem, the appointment goes to Alexander. In Jerusalem, he opens both an institution for the training of Messianic Jewish emissaries and a hospital for poor and sick Jewish people. 31 Messianic Jews honored him at his funeral in Jerusalem in the 19th century. I'll give you one more. Dr. David Block, a professor of applied mathematics and astronomy in South Africa, became a believer in Messiah. And he wrote, I'd listen in shul, hear this, I'd listen in shul as the rabbis expounded how God was a personal God and how he would speak to Moshe, to Avraham, to Yitzhak, and to Yaakov and wonder how I fit into all of it. And by the time I entered university, I became concerned over the fact that I had no assurance that God was indeed a personal God. Where was the personality and the vibrancy of a God who could speak to David Block? That's what he said. If God is truly God, I reason, then why had he suddenly changed his character? And he's no longer personal. And he no longer speaks to the heart of men. A colleague told Block that a minister would be able to answer his questions. He reported, my parents had taught me to seek answers where they may be found, so I consented to meet with him. 
He read to me from the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, in the book of Romans, where the writer says that Yeshua is a stumbling block to Jewish people, but that those who would believe in Yeshua would never be ashamed. That's right out of Psalm 2, by the way. And that Jewish professor believed and put his trust in Yeshua the Messiah. And his life was forever changed. Suddenly, it all became very clear to me, Yeshua had fulfilled the Messianic prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures, such as where the Messiah would be born and how he was to die. I knew that Yeshua was the Messiah and is the Messiah. And I surrendered my heart and soul to him that day. He concluded, it might seem strange to some that a scientist and a Jew could come to faith in Yeshua, but faith is never a leap into the dark. It is always based on evidence. That was how my whole search for God began. I looked through my telescope at Saturn and said to myself, isn't there a great God out there? The logical step was to want to meet this designer face to face. And he did. My question to you tonight is, will you respond to the shofar's call to examine your life and your ways, to repent where you need to? Have you heard the call of the shofar that calls you to King Messiah? He is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. He is. But will you acknowledge that tonight the call is yours? But the evidence is clear. I want us to pray because, of course, we want to have a good and sweet year, don't we? We want a blessed year. We want a year of the favor of God on our life. But there's only one way to do that. And that is to be in right standing before a holy God. And God, in his infinite wisdom, sent the Mashiach, just like Psalm 2 says, enthrones him as king over the nations and over Israel. And whoever would call upon this king that God installed, would have forgiveness and atonement. What a deal. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me tonight. It's a good thing to start our 10 days with a prayer of repentance. So pray after me. Avinu Malkeinu. Forgive me for not recognizing my errant ways. Lord, I repent of my sin and my waywardness. I repent of not acknowledging Yeshua as King and Messiah. Father, forgive me. Wash my sins away, just like casting my bread upon the waters. Forgive me I receive Yeshua as Messiah 
and I choose to serve him all my days. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, come speak to either Rabbi Carol or myself afterwards, and you are at the very beginning of the greatest journey of your life. Amen.